friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. start just real quick. Our friend <laughs> Sutton wants to come and pray for me. When somebody asks to pray for you, you always say yes. So come on up here. He wants to pray before the sermon. There we go. Dear God, thank you for everything that you've given us. Thank you that you've always made us and you always will take care of us, God. Please help us to love others that you've shown us first, God. I thank you that you died on the cross for our sins, even though you made us and we don't deserve anything you've given us, God. Please help us to love you no matter what happens. Please help Jonathan and everybody in this church to love you for the rest of their lives and me, God. I pray that you would help us to follow you and not turn on a different path that you have presented us with, God. I pray that you would help us to bow our heads before you and never bow our heads before the devil, God. I pray that we would always love you with our whole heart, and God, I pray that you, we would stand strong against our enemy. Please forgive us for all the sins that we made, and please help all the people that need your help. Thank you that we're here gathered together in your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Follow that. Give them a chance. Somebody say it. Somebody say it. Wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Isn't it awesome what God's doing in the hearts of children here? Which is, if you notice, Todd said that, that we're a generational community. And um, one of our values is having children in church with us. And so what happens is when children are in this room as we worship Jesus, he starts to speak to them. He starts to work in their hearts. And it's so cool to see, um, yeah, so cool to see that. I love that. I love God doing that in our kids' hearts. So, welcome to this, um, this Sunday, Sunday after Christmas. You made it. You did it. As Todd said, uh, you're all going to heaven. Major kudos. Um, so, um, if you have a Bible, or if you want to grab the one in front of you, open to John chapter 1. We're going to start here, and we're kind of in this year with... Um, what is the point of, I think, our existence and definitely our life as believers in Jesus Christ as King and Lord and Savior, and maybe even will give us um, a resolution for the new year. I love that we sang um, these words this morning, I resolve to seek your face. Isn't that a great resolution? I resolve to seek your face. So John 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's not a beautiful thing this morning to believe. Of all the darkness in the world, guess what? It has not overcome the light. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Again, what a promise, right, that we had the invitation to live a life that's not based on our resources, on our heritage, on our intelligence, on our earning, but on God's choice to give us everything he has. And I love that that gift is available to everyone, no matter where you were born, what blood runs through your vein, what kind of, what kind of will you have in the flesh, right? How good are you at this life of what we might call American society, capitalism, pull yourself up. Like God's like, hey, everyone gets the same offer. Everyone has the same opportunity. Not the will of man, but of God. And here's the key. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or as Eugene Peterson would say, the word of God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. (laughs) love that. He moved into our neighborhood, to the earth, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. As I read this text, and, and I just really meditated this week on the incarnation, about the Word becoming flesh, I just honed in on this phrase, and we have seen his glory. We've seen his glory And that's the primary goal of life, is to see Jesus, to see him, (laughs) to behold him. Because if you can behold him, you can become like him, right? He is the, the picture that we're supposed to become. And because transformation doesn't happen through information, it actually comes through beholding. It comes through seeing. You actually see Jesus in a way that challenges everything you know about the world, about life, about yourself, and it invites you to change. Because we know if information, uh, delivering information changed people's lives, the American church would be the most changed group of people in the history of the earth. <laughs> we have more information than we've ever had about everything. More information uh, about Jesus, more information about history. There's more podcasts. I get sent more podcasts, which I don't know how to take as a pastor. When people send you other pastors, they're like, you really need to listen to the sermon. I'm like, well, did you listen to mine, or do you send mine out to other people? It's a little bit weird, but I'm like, thank you. Thank you for that. I mean, people listen to more sermons than ever. It's crazy, and, th- and that's not a bad thing, but the danger is thinking that more information will make you more like Jesus, that consuming more content can actually make you more godly when, when if anything, it might actually make you more responsible to obey. <laughs> And that's actually might have a, a, a bad result for you. But as I, I looked at this, okay, so we've seen his glory. We want to see his glory. Um, I, I just started like searching in there. Okay, that, that word see, what does that mean? Because it, obviously it means see, like um, we see his glory. Some people actually, uh, you might call them like a seer. Some people just see things. I don't know if you're like that. 
I'm, I'm not a seer, like, spiritually. Like, I don't see visions a lot. I don't have dreams. I don't know. How many, anybody dreamers and dream constantly? I rarely dream. If I, if I dream, it's really weird because I'm like, whoa, I had a dream. I usually just, I just sleep, guys. I've got six kids. I just <laughs> sleep, and I wake up, and l- the waking is like the dreaming, probably. I'm like, what's happening today? But, but so, so they're seeing, but also in the Greek, there's this idea that seeing is, is perceiving, So seeing the glory of Jesus isn't just having ecstatic visions. It's actually about being able to perceive his glory, knowing where his glory exists, resides, shows up, being able to actually perceive it. And what is glory? I love the Hebrews. They would say the glory is the chabod. Everybody say chabod. Chabod, right? And it's it's glory, but it actually has this context of weightiness, the weight of God, right? Like, and, and this is a really interesting thing because it's a kind of like an existential reality. The weight, like, I don't know, have you guys considered, I, I feel like in the last two years, uh, probably most of us have considered the weight of our human existence more than we have ever. With a pandemic, with like racial justice stuff going, all this stuff, we've just considered the weight of life. And I, I shared on Christmas Eve, how I was, I was reading uh, this quote from Frederick Buechner, and I'm just all alone at the house, Annie's got the kids out, And in this quote just hit me like a ton of bricks, the reality, and he's talking about our inability to actually fully know any other human being. He's like, no matter how well you know another human being, you'll never fully know them. And that that weight hit me, and I just, I wept. I mean, I literally sat there like a crazy person, just like, I'm weeping all alone about some guy writing 50 years ago about not being able to know his grandpa or his grandmother or his mom or his dad or even knowing his children or them knowing him fully, and yet in Jesus we're fully known. I was just like, oh, the weight of that. So here's what it is. To see the glory of Christ is to be able to perceive the weight of who he is, what he's done and really, it's this idea of like being awake to, right? So the church should be the place where people are most awake to the glory of Jesus, to the weight of who he is, of why he came, of what he did, of what is to come, right? Like what's coming to us in the future that we should be perceiving consistently the weight of Jesus Christ. And when we're together, what happens is the reality of the weight of Jesus as King, Savior, Lord gets put into our midst and we all just go, oh, I feel, I perceive. I may not see it with my physical eyes. Some of you may see it. You know, I had a grandpa. My grandpa saw angels, right? I I don't pretend to understand that. Um, and he'd always make the joke with my, my, my dad. He's like, I see the angels in the car, and when you speed, I see them get off. He's like, the angels get off at 56 miles per hour, so slow down. Now it's your fault, right? But he had this ability, and I've, I've never had that, but I have the ability to perceive the glory of God, the weight of Jesus right? It's just like, because the Spirit of God who lives in me testifies to the Spirit of God who lives in you. And there's just times where you have conversations, right, where you're like, that felt, and we use the term, that felt weighty. This decision right now that we're making feels, it feels weighty. It feels like important. It feels big. And so the primary goal of life is to recognize Jesus in our lives, in the world, in everything we do. Because if we can do that, 
we can be transformed. We can change because we start to see differently. We start to perceive the world not as just this flesh and blood, but as this grand cosmic drama that we get to be a part of. So one man said it this way. He said, stop telling me how to improve myself. Speak to me about the beauty of Jesus. I'm willing to do anything for love if sufficiently enamored. So why is the church like many times feel so weak and powerless and compromised, I think it's because we're mostly insufficiently enamored with Jesus, right? So we all know when you go through like the dating phase of life, you just stay up all night talking on the phone, right? I, I knew a couple, they would literally fall asleep and she would wake him up in the morning. They just stay, this one, you know, like there's no minutes. You just stay on the landline. They'd literally, he'd just fall asleep and she'd like yell on the phone to wake him up because they just like fall asleep talking, right? You just, you drive, you're like people are in long distance, like I drive hours and hours to see somebody. I see somebody in the back row back there who drove lots of hours to see a girl. Bam, just hits you like a ton of bricks. And if you're sufficiently enamored you just go for it. There's no question of cost. You're like, whatever it costs, I'm willing to pay it to be with that person, to hear their voice, to see their face. And I think what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I have glory that will, if you'll come into contact with it, it will enamor you in a way that you'll spend the rest of your life trying to be in it, around it, <laughs> aware of it constantly. And here's, here's what I'd say. I, I think it's really fascinating. So the last 40 to 50 years, the amount of time that Christians have spent, amount of time and money on worldview uh, training, teaching people how to think rightly about God, that if you think rightly about God, you might be able to teach somebody else to think rightly about God. And I think what we haven't done is we haven't sufficiently enamored people with Jesus, with his presence. So we have all the information about God and yet our heart doesn't draw us to the places where God is, where he's inhabiting places, where he's inviting people to be. We, we like misunderstand the power of adoration and love, right? And, and I get it. You can be overly romantic about Jesus. There's some weird worship songs where you're like, are we dating? But, but also, we can be overly pragmatic about Jesus, I mean, you can, read, you can read some Christian history where you're like, things got weird between that guy and Jesus in the desert while he was there for 50 years considering. Like, he says some crazy stuff. Like, but you're like, which would be better to have somebody just crazy about Jesus to the point where they're weird or somebody who just has like a cold calculating grip on the details <laughs> of God? So, Seeing him is transformative, right? Jesus isn't just words on a page. He's the word made flesh. That's what we need. We need the word made flesh. He's not just our buddy. <laughs> He's king. He's king. And if we saw him as he is right now, what would we do? We'd fall down, right? I, I just As you read the Christmas story, I just love, what do angels say when they show up? What do they say? Don't be afraid. Why do they say that? Is it just their phrase that's like their what's up? What's up, man? Don't be afraid. No, they're like, it's terrifying to see an angelic heavenly being in the flesh. You're not meant to see. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like they have invaded the world. If that's what happens when angels show up, what would happen if you saw the risen Jesus as he is right now in the throne room of God? What would happen? Your bones would feel like they're rotting. You'd fall down. You'd pass out. You'd shake. You know what I mean? You'd be like, woe is me. 
I mean, it's wild, right? Jesus isn't just somebody that you're like, bring along that you hope you go to heaven someday. He's the son of God. He has a glory that could grip you and, <laughs> man, change you, right? So, so what does this look like? Colossians 1.15 says, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1 says, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the radiance. (laughs) He's the emanation of all the goodness of God flows in and through Jesus and emanates out. And if you looked at him, he's the exact imprint, right? Some of us have, have uh, children who look exactly like their parents. It's so, it's so weird. So I, I've got double cousins. Anybody, anybody else have double cousins? Anybody? It's, it's totally legal. Can I just tell you? When you describe it to people, they're like, that sounds weird. Right? So my mom's sister married my, uh, sorry, my mom's brother married my dad's sister. So I've got a cousin who looks more like my dad than anybody in our family because we have the same genes. I mean, literally, like, we're like the same people. But it's, it's amazing when you see somebody who looks like an imprint of somebody else, and it's just like, whoa, I feel like I just saw that person, but it's actually their kid, or it's even their grandkid, or it's somebody else, right? Jesus is that much of an imprint of the Father, who he is. First John 3 says, beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Zach, have you ever just considered that? What you will be someday? And it's like, what we will be someday, we, we can't even fathom what we will be someday when Christ comes in fullness and we fully become like him forever and ever and ever. It hasn't even appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. So think about this, who Jesus is, if you read the book of Revelations, what Jesus is like in this resurrected form, someday you will be like him. You'll appear like him. You'll look like him. You are an imprint of him in the same way that he's an imprint of the Father. And for eternity, you will be the radiance of the glory of God in heaven forever. I mean, guys, think about how much we waste our time on trivial stuff and we spend so little time considering these kinds of things. You'll spend your forever in this reality It's so much better than Ted Lasso or whatever else is like the hippest, coolest show that I don't have Netflix anymore or whatever. I don't even, is that on Netflix? I'm so old. We've got kids. I know Bluey and I know uh, Pokemon cards, all this stuff. I don't know anything cool or hip anymore. But he says, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Isn't that cool? How do you become like Jesus? You see in a moment. Isn't that crazy? I mean, like right now, in, in my spirit, I'm like, I just want to, the moment you see him, you'll be like him. Everyone you've lost on this earth who has gone from here to there, the moment they saw him, they became like him. I mean, if that's not the most beautiful, glorious news I've ever heard, is that all the pain and suffering and difficulty and fear of this world in a moment gets transformed. And we're like him. 
Second Corinthians says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. What does Satan want to do? He wants to blind you from seeing Jesus, from seeing his glory. If he knows he can keep you from seeing the glory of Jesus, he can keep you from being like him, and he can keep you in bondage, enslaved, in fear, in shame, in doubt to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What, what is knowledge, Right? Knowledge isn't, can you memorize a bunch of words? Do you know the right answers to all the right questions? Knowledge is, have you seen the face of Christ? Do you see him? Do you perceive the weight of who he is when you sing and read and speak and meditate? Do you perceive who he is? I love the disciples on the road. They said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he spoke? Right? And they didn't even know yet that, that that was Jesus, but there was something about that man. I love the old hymn. There's just something about what? That name. Even the name of Jesus. There's something about that name. <laughs> something happens to me when I consider who he is. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Man. 2 Corinthians says this, it's a longer passage, but such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Here's what, friends, the invitation for our generation is to be ministers of the Spirit, not of the letter of the law. It's like, he's like, you can be a minister of the letter of the law, you can know all these things, and yet Christ is offering us something more, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites couldn't gaze at Moses' face because of the glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So think about this. What came in Moses on Mount Sinai, his face is shining. People are scared to death. There's thunder and lightning, all this stuff. Paul's like, the, the church should be more glorious than that. Wherever Jesus shows up should be more glorious because this is a better covenant. This is a new way. He's, he's like, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, this is the case. What once had glory has now come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if, that, if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. I love that. Like, we're, because of the hope of the new covenant, a boldness has filled our lives to seek God, to see him in his glory. And this isn't chasing experience. This isn't emotionalism. This is an offer from God to seek him and see him and know him and feel him. I mean, oh, man, 
So not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. And friends, can I just say, like, I, my dream is that Skyline would be a church that would never ask someone who's having an encounter with God to cover their face. Because that happens in places. People start experiencing God. They start encountering God. And people are like, could you just tone it down? Could you just chill out? Could you get on to some other like hobby or something? Because like you're making me uncomfortable right? It's making me uncomfortable. Your, your walk with Jesus, could you just, and literally what they're saying is, could you just cover your face? <laughs> that way I know something's happening, but I don't have to be confronted by it. Paul says, don't, don't do that in the church. This is the new covenant. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord Jesus, the veil is removed. So the only way a veil uh, comes in your life now is the one you put there. <laughs> it's been removed. Now you can put it back if you want to. You can be like, all right, I'm going to pull it down. But Jesus says, listen, if you want to have no obstruction between you and me, it's available. If you want to see me face to face in the same way that Moses saw Yahweh, it's yours. You have it if you want it. Now the Lord is spirit, where the spirit of the Lord there is freedom, and we all, listen, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So we all, in the church, with unveiled faces, as we behold the glory of Jesus, as we perceive the weight of who he is, we are being transformed. That's why we're a worshiping community first, because transformation begins in worship. So we, we want to overly offer opportunities for you to see Jesus through worship and prayer, because if not, your chances of transforming are so small, if not completely zero. Now, could you apply some information? Could you get better? Yes, but Jesus isn't about making you better He's about making you from old to new, from death to life, from light to darkness. He doesn't do renovation, right? He tears houses down and he rebuilds them into more beautiful things. So we want to give you opportunities to behold Jesus because we know that's where transformation starts. And then we know from there comes the other thing. So where, where do we behold Jesus? The primary place is in worship. It's about the person of Jesus getting caught up in the reality of who he is. And this, is, this happens, friends, by opening yourself to the Holy Spirit. What's the job of the Holy Spirit? His primary job is to reveal Jesus to you. That's his primary job is to present Jesus to you. And then you go from worship to the Word, the Word of God, right? The life and teachings of Jesus. Can I just encourage you, if you want to perceive the weightiness of Jesus, you want to get into his glory, read the Gospels a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Just read them and read them and read them and read them. Because I just think so many ways we just forget who Jesus is and we read our little devotional mostly from the epistles because it's really hard to devotionalize Jesus, right? It's hard to capture anything from Jesus in like two lines. We're like, that felt really good. You're like, whew, that was rough. That was a rough one, Jesus. I mean, you got to like dig in. But I remember uh, my first trip to Israel, uh, there's a rabbi um, at this really prestigious university. Our guide had been with him. This rabbi read the gospels and basically memorized them. He just wanted to know who Jesus is. 
And he's like one of these, you know, kind of uh, freak of nature intellectuals. He literally read the Gospels, and this guy was like, he could quote passages. And he said this, he said, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus and don't read the Gospels once a week, you're a liar. And this guy was like, so there he's like, I'm one of the only Christians in the room. And he's like, I was literally like slinking down in my seat. And he said this, because he said, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you should be obsessed with everything about him. Every word that comes out of his mouth, you should just be obsessed with. You should just be consuming everything about Jesus constantly. He's like, that's what it means to be a disciple. If you're a Hebrew, to be a disciple is to want to be like your teacher. And the only way you can be like them is to be around them constantly and to imitate everything they do. And while, I, while we were there, we're at the, the uh, Western Wall praying, and uh, we saw this guy, in, the, in our guide point, he said, see that rabbi? Do you see his disciples, like little ducklings, like following him around? The, the rabbi went to the wall and prayed, and the disciples pushed around. And I kid you not, the rabbi went to the bathroom, and this little disciples followed him. And I was like, they literally followed him to the bathroom. Like, maybe something happens in there that's important. I don't know. They're like, we're going to be like our rabbi. It's like that much commitment. So we do this, right? We want to be consumed with the person of Jesus. We want to be around him. We want to be obsessed with his words. We want to be in any place where he might show up. Isn't that funny? The crowds were like, where might he show up? So we know that church is a place that Jesus has promised to show up. He says, where two or three are gathered my name, I will be there. That's why I come to church. I don't just come here to preach. I come here because Jesus promises to meet me here. So if I wasn't the pastor of this church, I would be in this church. I want to meet him. <sighs> okay. So here's, here's what I believe. I believe a worshiping community makes for the best soil to make disciples. So that's our second thing. We're a disciple-making community. What I know is like worshiping is the best soil. It's the cultivation of the best kinds of soil for the kingdom of God, these teachings to take root. So we want to worship the maximum amount possible, and then we want to encourage people as much as possible to do discovery Bible studies <laughs> and, and to meet one-on-one -on -one with people and talk about Jesus, talk about life, get mentored, get discipled, be led and I, I'll just say, we've seen this. So th this guy in this book that I've been reading, and uh, Billy's been reading it, and he says this, he says, it's impossible to disciple someone who's not fascinated with Jesus. And man, I, I just thought about, I've, I've been in ministry 20, almost 24 years now, and I just thought, man, I've spent so much of my ministry trying to disciple people who aren't fascinated with Jesus. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world. Right? But when you get somebody who's fascinated with Jesus, it's just like, it's so easy. Like, we, uh, like I get to work with a bunch of young guys right now here at Skyline, and they're so easy to disciple because they're fascinated with Jesus. Like, I mean, they're literally, I'm, I'm like struggling to keep up with how fascinated they are with Jesus, their text chains and their meetings. And they're here on 6 a.m. on Tuesdays. I'm like, I can't make it. I can get my kids ready. They're like just going. I love that they're like, we're not waiting for you to show up. We're running after Jesus. I love it. It's amazing. So I've got a couple questions. I'm going to invite the, the worship team for you to consider. And we're going we're gonna to end in communion today because I would just love for you to take this thought and just maybe um, as we take communion, consider um, 
So this, this question is just one I've been ruminating on. Does my way of life, okay, does my way of life maximize my opportunities to behold Jesus? Right? So, so I love this because this isn't about your behavior, how good you are, how well you do at all the things that other Christians think you should be good at to be a Christian. It says, does my way of life maximize my opportunities to perceive the weight of the glory of Jesus, who he is as Messiah, King, Lord, Master, Friend, Brother, <laughs> like all these things of who he is. He's the bridegroom. To consider his love, his grace, his peace, his joy, his faith, his obedience, his humility, his meekness, his power, his authority, his contentedness, his ability to listen, his hospitality, his openness to all people, all these things about Jesus. Does my way of life, does my daily, weekly, monthly rhythm of what I do with my time that I get to choose, does it maximize my opportunities to be with him so that I could behold him? And so in connection to that, what's one thing that you could shift in 2022? Like, this is one way I can shift my life to where I can maximize my opportunities to behold Jesus. And this could look like any number of things. It could be, I'm going to take my lunch hour on Mondays and be in this room and worship God if I can make it there. Or I'd be like, oh, I can't make it to the sanctuary because I work in Edmond or somewhere else, but I can make my office at my workplace a sanctuary. I can get on my knees behind that desk and turn on worship music and I can worship for an hour because nobody gets to tell me what to do with my lunch hour. <laughs> right? I can cancel my Netflix account this year and I'll take all the time I would have spent on all those shows and I'm going to get into the word of God. I'm going to meet with people. I'm going to worship. I'm going to go serve somewhere in the city where I know God says, if you show up with these people, you'll find me. The poor, the lost, the broken, the outcast. What's one thing that you could shift in 2022. And so the cool thing is that's all God asks you to do. It's like, can you shift this and I'll do the rest? <laughs> I transform you. You don't do all these things to transform you. You just make one little commitment to me and I'll just watch what I'll do. It might be waking up early. You're like, I just need to start my day. I got to set my alarm 30 minutes earlier. One thing. Stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, I love the end of that 2 Corinthians passage where it says that we're transformed by beholding. The very next verse, it says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. <laughs> who are the ones who don't lose heart? The ones who don't lose heart are the ones who are consistently beholding Jesus, being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. We don't lose heart in this thing that God's doing in us. So would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And would you just ask the Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, you know me, you know my schedule, you know my heart, you know my motives, you know my thoughts, you know my sin patterns, <laughs> you know my personality defects, you know everything about me. Holy Spirit, would you show me how the next year of my life might be full of the glory of Jesus. 2022 could be the year where I fully perceive the weight of who Jesus is. I met him. I could say we have seen his glory. The 
glory of the one and only Son who comes from the Father, full of grace and truth.